Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews. Shopping tips. Driving green. Electric cars. Classic cars. And plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am your host, Tom Appel, publisher of ConsumerGuide.com. Thanks for joining us. If you're counting, this is episode two. If you missed episode one, you can go to our website, ConsumerGuide.com, and catch the first one. And while you're there, check out our best buys. If you are looking for a new car or truck, our best buys are handy. If you are not looking for a new vehicle, skip to our, our blog because that is where the magic happens. This is a good time to introduce my co-host, Damon Bell. Damon is the senior editor of ConsumerGuide.com. Uh, Damon, how's it going? Not too bad. How are you doing? I'm good. You've been uh, you've been busy. You've been traveling a little bit. I have, yep. I just uh, flew back from Las Vegas yesterday. Um, yeah, we can get into that a little bit later, the reason why I was there. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, later in the show, uh, we got a lot going on today. We're going to be talking to John Beal. John is the editor-in-chief of Collectible Automobile Magazine. There is a new issue on newsstands right now, so we'll talk about that. Also later, Damon is going to walk us through everything that's going on at the ConsumerGuide.com blog. Also, we're going to talk a little bit about the first-ever Consumer Guide Car Stuff Power Quiz. Uh, we do have a winner. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But Damon, tell us. Tell us about your travels. Um, well, the, the, uh, the, uh, the show that I was in in Vegas is the SEMA show. Yeah. Um, and that stands for Specialty Equipment Market Association. Uh, and SEMA is basically the organization that encompasses pretty much all of the automotive aftermarket. And that's everything from, you know, custom wheels, custom paint, car care stuff. So it is a as you might imagine, a colossal industry, which puts and and it makes for a colossal trade show that basically takes over the Las Vegas Convention Center. Um, and it, the the SEMA show is an industry only show, so you can't get in if you're just you know general public. Right. Uh, you have to be connected to the industry in some way. Um, so so how did you get in? I'm connected to the industry okay, in some good, way. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> actually, I was there. I was actually there as a guest of Honda, uh, and they oh. had paired that with a uh, uh, press preview drive for the refreshed for 2020 Civic Si. We maybe talk about that on a future uh, episode. But uh, yeah, the the SEMA show. You uh, you need a pair of good walking shoes because it is the floor space of this place is is gigantic and it's it's sensory overload in most every sense of the word. So here's here's my frame of reference. I've never been to SEMA, the Chicago Auto Show, when it's full up and it usually takes up most of that space in, in the right. in the um, McCormick Place Center there. Um, One point three million square feet of stuff, and if you want to, you can spend an easy eight hours there. SEMA it takes days. I would triple those yeah. in terms of floor space. And, and I was there for one day. I don't know that I even covered half of what was there. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's plenty of uh, social media content and, and articles and galleries uh, being kind of presented, making their way around the Internet now. And 
I'm I never saw that car. I'm, I'm looking at the coverage. I'm like, I was just there. I missed. How did I not see that? I would have liked to have seen that. So, uh, yeah, it's just it's a huge show. So manufacturers go there and they, they do. do a lot there. Mm -hmm. But then there's just the huge aftermarket, which kind of swallows the show. Right. It, that's... Yeah. I think in recent years, uh, the the big manufacturers have have sort of ramped up their presence there. Honda, of course, was there this year. Chevrolet had a big booth. Um, because even the, the, the big manufacturers, they have kind of their own aftermarket arms. Chevy will sell you, uh, they call them crate motors, uh, you know, so kind of hot rodder hobbyists and what have you. The, Chevy will sell you an engine, uh, you know, ready to install with the uh, software kind of in place already. And, and a lot of the OEMs do their own uh, Accessory. They have their own accessory arms uh, and stuff like that. So that that there's a reason for for them to be there as well. You said you you were there on on Honda's dime. W was Honda doing anything at SEMA? They had uh, a nice display. Uh, one of the things uh, th they had some kind of customized. They uh, they factory accessorized kind of concept vehicle versions of their latest products. Um, SUVs are really big now, so they had some modified uh, CRVs, you know, oh. roof racks, uh, raised ride height a little bit, just uh, kind of more rugged uh, setups. And then one of the more interesting things, which when we bring John on, I'm sure he would be interested in, Honda recently restored a 1961 Chevrolet pickup truck. <laughs> Why, why did they do that? Because when the company was first getting started in America, they bought a small fleet. They, they weren't really even producing cars yet. They were making motorcycles. Oh. And they purchased a fleet of Chevrolet vehicles, Chevrolet pickup trucks, to deliver motorcycles to customers. It was a very fledgling operation. And they had pictures in their company archives for that. And then I think the idea got started, hey, we should... We should recreate one of those delivery trucks so that's what they did it's this immaculately restored 61 chevy long bed pickup truck uh painted in honda colors uh from you know I, not long after they got started in 1959 excellent yeah. now one of the things i've heard about sema and I'm, I'm dying to see someday if i ever make it myself talk about the hall of wheels <laughs> every wheel uh, aftermarket wheels are uh, you know then and 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 now one of the biggest categories of the aftermarket. So, yeah, it is a smorgasbord of aftermarket wheels, both in kind of vintage styles and the dub, blingy, you know, modern-day uh, uh, wheels as well. So they've got those wheels on display. And then all those manufacturers, in the interest of attracting as much attention to their booth as possible, will have the most over-the-top display vehicles in their booths. So, you know, the Lamborghini with satin uh, <laughs> pink wheels and a, you know, white finish. Like, they're, they're just over-the-top uh, custom cars. Now, you've got a lot of Twitter uh, pictures from SEMA up on uh, your Twitter account. How do people find those? Uh, just search uh, Damon Bell Likes Cars. All right. And, yeah, I've posted, I've posted a few things already, and I will continue to do so because... Uh, I was firing off pictures left and right. So. And then you drove the the updated Civic Si, 
Yes. So you'll be writing about that sometime in the near future. Correct. All right, so we'll yeah. get back to that, too. Cool, thanks. And then uh, uh, you, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but Damon and I find ourselves periodically behind the wheel of test product provided by manufacturers. This is one of those weeks. Damon, what are you driving right now? Uh, I drove here today in a 2020 Volvo S60 T8 E all-wheel drive inscription. <laughs> That's that, the full title. And that fits on the badge. It, uh, it does, yeah. It just it, wraps it, it, it around. It rolls to the second line. You actually yes. can't open one of the rear doors because the badge yeah. wraps around <laughs> That's right. over the door. That's right. On cold days, it, it catches <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. What is that? Um, so S60, we'll kind of break it down. Yeah. Uh, S60 is Volvo's uh, compact, well, premium compact sedan. It, it, it competes with, like, the BMW 3 Series, um, Audi A4. So it's in that category. Um, they have a wagon version called the V60, which we talked about a little bit last week. Uh, the T8 part of the name uh, signifies that it is their plug-in hybrid model. And the E all-wheel drive is that uh, the all-wheel drive portion of it is actually via the battery. Um, so you plug it in and, you know, I don't know what they've said as their actual range estimate for pure electric driving but in the cold temps we we've had the the gas engine is kicking on but it's as powertrains go it's about as complex as they come because it's a plug-in hybrid so you've got the battery and the electric motor and then the gasoline engine is a four-cylinder that is both turbocharged and supercharged both of those being a, a means of uh, forced air induction. One is kind of the supercharger is driven off the engine itself. The turbocharger is driven off exhaust gas. Yeah. So uh, the, a pretty high-tech powertrain, to say the least. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Volvo, you were there too. At the Chicago Auto Show some 10 years ago, Volvo announced its intention to produce only four-cylinder cars. And we were all sort of perplexed by this because it didn't seem like a thing that a luxury or near luxury manufacturer would do. And now every single engine that Volvo produces, at least for the U.S. market, is a two-liter turbocharged engine. And they just sell variations of it. And you drove the most expensive and most complicated and highest horsepower right. version. That, that's the other thing. Highest horsepower, uh, turbocharged, supercharged, four-cylinder, plug-in hybrid powertrain. Sounds kind of eco-focused. And it <laughs> is to a degree, but it makes 400 horsepower. Yeah, so that's that's crazy, and and that's the T8. Right. There's the T6, the, the which is about 300 horsepower and and no electric assist. Right. T5, which is sort of a base in some cars. Yeah. What is it? About 250 horse, and then in some models there's even a T4, which is a little bit lower power to hit a price point. Right. Yeah, I think that's about 21 miles of EV range. I okay. think that's what they do, so that should charge fairly quickly. Right. And that's one of those things too where. It's not a lot of range, right? 21 miles, it's a 10 kilowatt hour battery. But but if you commute 10 miles each way, you will literally never use gas. Now, you're running into this in the city in the cold, and you're saying that you're not really getting EV range. The, the gas engine is, is kicking on. You know, if you, if you really feather the throttle pedal away from a stoplight, you can kind of maintain that pure electric uh, drive. But... The, the gas engine in these temps kind of needs to kick on a little more. Yeah, and there's a couple of weird things about plug-in hybrids that aren't true of, of electric vehicles. And, the, and in the case of plug-in hybrids, they probably use conventional heat, which means your radiator, your coolant, and stuff like that. So the engine has to run 
or you're not going to get heat. Yeah. In a Chevy Volt or a Nissan Leaf, which are pure electric vehicles, they have electric heat. Right. So that's the thing that's going to hurt your mileage in the winter. Yeah. Um, and you're going to dig into that. But additionally... If you're not going to plug in a plug-in hybrid, maybe don't buy a plug-in hybrid because you're just <laughs> hauling around a battery for right, no reason. That you're not getting the full benefit from. Yeah, yeah. and a 10 kilowatt hour battery is not light. Yeah, I don't know what that would be, 200, 250 pounds, something like that. Yeah. Any observations about the car? I mean, uh, um, you know, it's it's fantastic looking, and and it kind of struck me in in driving it that if you haven't paid attention to Volvo in a while, if you're perception of Volvo is of those boxy 740 station wagons, kind of staid styling and, and you know, uh, austerity. The, the Volvo of today would surprise you. Um, and, of course, the, the press vehicles that we typically get are typically decked out with uh, full options and higher uh, trim level uh, items. So uh, this car, I think it starts at 55, but the one we have... Uh, the sticker price is $64,190. $3,200 of that is a Bowers & Wilkins stereo system. How much of it? $3,200. That's a lot of audio. It is a lot of audio. Is it a good audio? It is a good audio system. Okay, okay. And and there are, I mean, it it is a luxury vehicle. I walked up to it last night, and when you unlock the vehicle, the uh, side rearview mirror-mounted puddle lights and door handle lights come on. There is a a luxury presence and you get inside it's kind of got like a milk chocolate leather nice. uh, upholstery on the seats um, and there is kind of a Scandinavian feel to the design of the interior um, it, it it's an expensive vehicle for sure but it is a genuine luxury vehicle cool yeah so we'll, we'll probably have something up about that in the next few weeks Mm-hmm. Sounds good. All right, you know what we're going to do? I think we're going to take a break, come back, and then we're going to talk to John Beale, who is the editor-in-chief of Collectible Automobile Magazine. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. I am Tom Appel. I'm the publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive, and you are listening to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Thanks for being here. Check us out at consumerguide.com. Also, if you want to follow what I'm doing or what I'm driving, I am car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. I welcome new Twitter followers. If you find a cool old car on the road, take a picture of it, put it up on Twitter, and use the car spotter hashtag. I will share that with my followers. Uh, we are now here with John Beale. John is the editor-in-chief of Collectible Automobile Magazine. If you don't know about your, this magazine, you are missing out. This is probably the nation's finest old car magazine, and, and John is at the helm of that. John, how's it going? Great, Tom. Welcome. Thanks for having me. You found the place okay? I found the place okay. Did yes. you have a donut? I did not have a donut, but <laughs> you were talking about the uh, Volvo, the battery being 250 pounds, and that's heavy. That's why I'm not having a donut. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm hit a little too close to home there. All so. right. 250 pounds is a... I wish. That's all, that's all I have to say. So, John, apparently you work on a magazine. Uh, that's what they tell me. Uh, <laughs> Collectible Automobile Magazine is, um, I mean, in my own humble opinion, the greatest magazine that's ever been published. But uh, in any event, yeah, we've been around uh, for 35 years. Uh, we turned 35 uh, in, um, in the middle, in, in the spring, in May. Uh, been around since 1984. 
And uh, I have not been, but uh, I was a reader uh, practically from the beginning. And I've uh, been editor since uh, June of 1995. Uh, it's a pretty cool thing to, to really uh, to admire a magazine and wind up working for it. And uh, so that's that's one of the one of the neat things that's happened. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, we come out uh, six times a year and uh, 96 pages, heavy stock covers, glossy presentation, uh, really nice magazine. No uh, no outside advertising. It's all uh, you know. It's 96 pages of old car stuff. So you've been doing this now for, for more than two decades. In your opinion, how has the world of old car appreciation changed in the last couple of decades? Um, my sense is that it's gotten a little bit more, um, uh, it's gotten a little bit more deep pocket, a little more uh -huh. high end. Uh, if, you know, people, I think you probably see uh, some of the auctions on, on television, on cable television, uh, and you can see that it's an awful lot of uh, exotics an awful lot of high-end, uh, you know, with a quote-unquote classic era muscle cars, uh, end of the 60s or very early 70s, uh, that are done, you know, to, uh, to a high degree. Um, and I, it's probably squeezed out uh, a lot of, uh, uh, not, not squeezed out, but, but overshadowed uh, a lot of what we used to call special interest. You know, people just Hey, look! I've got a you know I've got a '59 Pontiac sedan, and you know yeah, it's a great old car. I haven't seen one in a while. I like to have one of those. I don't know that that stuff is necessarily um, is necessarily as as uh, viable uh, you know now. Kind of in the, there's a lot of effort I think to have a lot of high profile uh, things out there. So so oh, oh, go ahead, Devin. Actually, and that's that's you bring up a good point in that because that's one of the things that I've loved about collectible automobile ever since I first discovered it, um, which was a little bit later than you, probably in the early 90s I mm -hmm. became aware of it. The The great thing about the magazine is it it, we, you know, it covers the high-end things, it covers the million-dollar cars, but it also gives equal uh, coverage to a Pinto, a like cars that, you know, yeah, cars that, that don't... Uh, command the sort of collector interest or respect but there's they all have interesting stories about how they were created uh it, it really is an automotive history magazine that that, that sort of you know for I, i'm sure people who owned vegas when they came out uh don't particularly like them they were sort of they <laughs> it, were it sort was of not early vegas yeah, yeah. especially yeah. not early vegas there were all kinds of uh engineering problems with them but the stories of those cars, even the the failures, are definitely worth telling, and I think that that's something that CA has always done well and continues to do well. And, Thanks. And, and uh, gives everybody it, it's kind of on an e even keel. A good example is our the, our current issue that's on sale right now, our December issue. Our cover story is on the Aston Martin DB4, but in that same issue, we've got an article on the 1977 to 79 Buick LeSabre. Case in and, point. And, and Case in point. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> a car that, you know, a mass market. Some of them are still rusting away on the streets as we speak. Uh, but, you know, we devoted a lot of pages to it and, uh, you know, found restored examples to photograph and maintained examples. And uh, we you know, that's, our, that's our, our core mission is really basically to, to tell the story of uh, it. Primarily, but not exclusively, the American car, and primarily, not exclusively, from about 1930 through about 1979, 
Uh, we're probably starting to expand a little bit into the yeah. 80s a little bit now. Yep. We're starting to start, you know, we just did a few issues ago. We did an article on the uh, the earliest four Tauruses, the the 86 to 92 yeah. Tauruses. That's uh, you know, that's when you know you're you're. That's when I start to feel old. Is when <laughs> oh, 82 to 92 Camaros are have been featured in. <laughs> collectible automobile and and they absolutely should be but it's, yeah. i remember when those came out yeah. and now they're considered vintage enough to be included in Together. that way collectible automobile magazine is a lot like pharmaceutical ads <laughs> <laughs> prescription drug ads are now using music for the mid-70s and are getting dangerously close to the music of my youth oh. that's how i know i'm getting old the same thing with ca that's exactly the same thing. So when you start hearing Devo songs, yes, you're really good. Yes, yes. Yeah. When Travesta or whatever is, is now <laughs> yeah. is now being advertised with a Devo tune, I'm I'm officially of retirement age. <laughs> so, uh, but speaking of the '80s, it seems like in terms of collector interest or or classic car interest, there was a hump that kind of put the '80s stuff back a little bit. Right. As, as if there was some resistance to it. Mm -hmm. Do we not remember the '80s as fondly? Was was downsizing a thing that was not as loved or appreciated yeah there, there was an awful lot of there was a, a, a um, the industry was trying to find especially the domestic industry was trying to find its footing uh, you know they, they were a lot of changes were forced onto them in the 70s in terms of, of you know they did they just had a million masters to serve in terms of vehicle safety uh, fuel economy uh, uh, you know uh, emissions uh, standards and they had to change their their paradigm way of making cars and it took them a while. Um, they, it was kind of a violent, you know, they basically went from making cars a way that they had known for decades and just basically being forced by circumstances to sort of change their, um, you know, their their outlook on, on, on what was a, you know, a viable vehicle. And it took them a while to kind of uh, find their uh, their footing. Uh, performance went away for a while. Uh, and But you begin to start to see in the, towards the mid-80s, you begin to start to see a little bit of a, kind of a toe in the water like hey you know, we can start to make kind of fun cars again and uh and i think people are starting to wreck you know they, they begin to recognize that now that that uh, uh you know that there were some interesting things and and of course there's also the thing that that the the, the notion that i think that uh kind of absence makes the heart grow fonder and if you haven't seen <laughs> these cars in 35 years and you have to remember you know we're the cars of 1980 are going to be 40 years old in a few yeah. months. Yeah. Um, you know, so that that's four decades already. You know, so when you haven't seen things in a while, suddenly the idea is like, yeah, what was up with that? I kind of remember those. What, and, and there's an, a whole new wave of interest that starts to come in. And, and so, so time moves on and people's interest, um, things that, that catch their, their, their memory again begin to kind of move on in yeah. advance. Absolutely. And, 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 yeah, your perception of cars vintage cars kind of changes as time goes on right you know, things that you wouldn't give a, a, a really wouldn't give a second look at all of a sudden become more interesting as you know when viewed from the context of 10 years after they were built 20 years after they were built 30 it, 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 nothing stays the same you know no no your perceptions change and and again you know you haven't seen it in a while all of a sudden it's just like wow look at that mm -hmm. especially when there's one that's still holding together pretty well um, you know, and then it, it um, yeah, it, it, it changes your perception and uh, it changes, I think, your interest and it broadens your, um, you know, your, some people will, they, they will, they're, they're fans of a particular thing, they're fans of a particular time and that's, that's what they're interested in and, and, uh, you know, um, 
but for other, for some people that that time and that and that or that that type of vehicle is going to be tied to a, to a later time and so so their nostalgia is going to um, is going to appear in a different way than than somebody's you know happy days 50s uh, outlook and mm. you know and, and so the you know the the fins and chrome guys uh, you know don't recognize the the 80s stuff but the people who came up uh, you know beginning to enter driving age no uh, they have a whole different uh, opinion about what was a fun car because those are the cars they had their fun in. Right. So the fins and chrome guys gave way to the unleaded gas guys. Yes, oh. yeah, which doesn't sound as much fun, <laughs> no, but, but nonetheless, if you came up in that period... That, that is your nostalgia. That's, that's, that's your nostalgia. Yeah. And, and actually, you know, another thing that is one of my favorite things about the magazine is, is the, it, it always endeavors to show, you know, when... when Vintage vehicles need to be located and photographed for the magazine. Uh, we try to get the most correct factory, as close to factory stock as possible, and and which can be very difficult uh, when you're talking about vehicles that may not uh, have ascended to the level of warranting a full restoration. But even those vehicles that restored means that it was painted red and it has chrome wheels the uh, no like the 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 fact that the magazine endeavors to show to seek out the cars that are correctly uh equipped as they came from the factory is an important part of its appeal for me yeah we, we we're trying to tell the the historic story the background story and to illustrate that we definitely want cars that look like they were um uh, that that they were you know of that time and and are you know sometimes yeah we will discover that a car was sure it may have originally been red the red it is now is not they you know it's it's close it's a shade off uh -huh. it's you know if somebody's painted it with a with a more modern uh, with, with a, you know with a more modern red sometimes we have to you know, we have to eat a detail here and there right uh, just because the cars don't right. they're fifty plus years old or whatever yes. and it, it's yeah. They're not to be found. In yes, and and, and uh, you know, and, and of course, people will restore them the way they. You know, we'll we'll have a reader complain. Oh, you had a car that's got uh, chrome exhaust tip extensions. Well, because the owner wants to make sure that exhaust is getting a little bit farther back yeah. from his <laughs> right. bumper that he very expensively <laughs> paid a lot of money to rechrome. Re yeah. So it's like okay, uh, well, uh, if we need to find one that's an absolute one hundred percent concour winner. Then maybe we weren't going to find an example of that car for this mm -hmm. issue. So you have to sort of take your pick a little bit. In in that car hunt process too, I would wager that you're one of the few people who will pass over the red and white two tone V8 convertible to get the six cylinder dog dish hubcap black wall tire station wagon. He's Absolutely. the guy. Yeah. He's the guy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, we have photographers that are. Wait. You want me to shoot what? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The base stripper four door sedan with the you know with the vinyl you know the the the. Uh, Woven vinyl seats, yes. We the bench seat. Yep. We want that, yeah. Because not everybody drove. The, those were the the vehicle that took the kids to school in 1962. Right. And not everybody had super sport convertibles. Right. With they, they the biggest V8 engine. They may have sold the 9600 of those of those premium trim convertibles, and they might have sold 99,000 mm. of those. Uh, you know, but of course. What happens nowadays is the 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 value is in that 
one of those surviving 9900 uh, convertibles. Yeah. So a lot of times it's the parts off yeah. those uh, get the station wagon gets sacrificed gets, so gets, the convertible yeah, cannibalized can live. for yeah. for important parts that are transferable that uh, body parts things like that and and so those even though the numbers were great those are the ones that kind of got driven to death or got scrapped out and disappear and mm-hmm. so if you find one to help flavor the you know, to show the totality of the car in an article that we're doing yes we we're, we're we're happy to have that gleaming convertible but we really like that station wagon or that that four-door sedan, four-door sedan mm-hmm. and that base trim or intermediate trim model and and occasionally you'll find somebody that just They've either taken very good care of, of an original, or they've restored it because a car means something to them. It was grandpa's car, and they have spent probably more money than the car will ever be worth mm-hmm. to get it back up to shape. And if we can find one like that, we just we love to shoot those. Mm-hmm. So, John, the December issue is on newsstands now? Currently. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what's in there. Well, as I mentioned before, there was the uh, Aston Martin DB4. That's a good um, looker. That's 77 to 79 uh, full-size Buicks. Uh, we did an article on the, the Ford F-Series trucks of 1961 to 66. Very popular, very famous uh, truck design. And then uh, reaching back into kind of the far corners of our, uh, of our uh, time frame that we cover, uh, the 1934 Chrysler 6, which is the car that's kind of overshadowed by the very famous but a lot rarer airflow, the very aerodynamic airflow that was a groundbreaking design. But the car that actually uh, made money for Chrysler that year, and kind of kept Chrysler in business, kind of Chrysler in business, <laughs> was the uh, the six, uh, which was a very con- uh, conventionally. Dis- it looks like a 1930s car, but um, uh, the, all the 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 airflows were all eights, uh, straight eights. Uh, this was their their six cylinder model and their kind of high volume model. That's a great story because because the airflows. Right, we're, we're a design triumph. Right, they're they're they're, they're aerodynamic, they're deco, they're beautiful, mm-hmm. and the public just utterly rejected them. Yeah, it was it was it was a reach. It was it didn't look exactly like a car, you know, the the conception of what a car looked like right. at the time. And so it was it wasn't you know, it's and automakers wrestle with this all the time. Do you innovate or do you follow you know do you follow what's successful or do you take a risk on what hasn't been done? And uh, sometimes taking a risk on, you know, you get a lot famous many years later for it, <laughs> but that doesn't sell you, that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't no money buy any that. chop steak in 1934. <laughs> yeah. So you guys so, covered the alternative cars that people actually bought. <laughs> yes, yes. Although we have done an article on the airflows a long, long time That's ago. good. Now, mm-hmm. I've, got, I've got a question for you. Not a question, but an observation. You guys did a photo feature in here of the 1946 Ford Super Deluxe Business Coupe. Mm-hmm. The Business Coupe is literally something I didn't know existed until a couple of years ago. Business Coupe is one of a, a handful of body styles that um, uh, that that have f- you know, faded from view. It, it used to be a car maker made one particular car to a, to a specific pattern. I mean, you, you know, you saw a 1946 Ford, you knew it was a 1946 Ford, regardless of whether it was a you know a sedan or a coupe or a convertible or a station wagon. They came from this; they sprang from one basic root. As opposed to the the varieties, the levels, the you know the size differences that we have nowadays in vehicle right. types, different vehicle mm-hmm. types we have, one basic platform served all you know served that that's what the car maker made. Yeah. So there they was, made there was a, a Chevy. There, there was, was a, a Ford. Right. There Multiple yeah. body styles. So they so that. they needed right. So they needed to make different types of cars 
uh, that would serve various people's needs. And one of them was the business coupe, which looked from the outside like a, like a conventional, like a coupe. Uh, but in the, the back seats are very often were removed. It was extra storage space. Sometimes it was contiguous with the, 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 it was just an extension of the trunk. If you open the trunk, it would have, this space would have extended back into there. And literally, it was back in the days of there when there were a lot more traveling salesmen. Yeah. They, they wanted, they were, it was an economic, it was usually the cheapest car in the line. Um, you sacrifice the, the maximum passenger space for the maximum uh, uh, cargo space. Because these guys had sample cases, they had luggage because they were on the road that's, for a while. That's where the Electrolux vacuum went. Yes, that's right, <laughs> right, right, right. So, so, but it, but it wasn't a wagon. It was still kind of stylish. No, it, yeah, it was. It yeah. looked like right. It, it looked like a car, and you know, because there was a there was a four passenger, you know, club coupe that had basically the same profile and a couple of jump seats in the back to carry additional people. Yeah. So, so from the outside, it it, it, it looked you know, but it, it served that purpose. There were. Two-door sedans that that looked that had the profile of a of a of a full four-door sedan, but with two doors. People liked them because of when they had families, they had kids that couldn't inadvertently open a back door. They were very popular with families. There were two-door station wagons, uh, something that you don't see and you barely see station wagons anymore. Right. In those days, there were two and four-door station wagons. So there were a number of body types that just don't exist anymore. So, John, uh, where can people buy Collectible Automobile Magazine? Well, they can reach us, uh, order through our website, at collectibleautomobile.com. Uh, it's also uh, available on uh, retail stands. There are bookstores uh, and, and newsstands in various places. We're actually we're sold around the world in, in, to, to get down to it. Uh, but uh, you can look for some, you know, if you can find major book change still, uh, uh -huh. chances are that we're, we're there. And, and in your estimation, just your, your personal opinion, would collectible automobile make a good Christmas gift? Uh, it would make an ideal Christmas would gift. Would it? Okay. <laughs> For a person who's curious. If you have anybody on your shopping list who, who's interested in cars and the, the history of them, I think we're ideal. Excellent. And, John, how do people follow you in social media? I am at, uh, at JBLJohn on Twitter. Excellent. I would also recommend uh, Collectible Automobiles' fun Facebook page, where all sorts of wackiness takes place. It's it's updated daily, uh, so that's good stuff too. John, thank you for being here. It My was a pleasure, pleasure, Tom. Because you have already driven here. Yes. Uh, you are free to stick around for the rest of the show if you have time. Thanks very much. I think I do. Excellent. Thanks. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive, and you are listening to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. It is now time for the Consumer Guide Power Stuff Podcast Power Quiz, and we do have a winner from last week. I need your help, guys. Uh, last week's question was name five. Five Honda models that have been discontinued since 1970. Oh, you didn't tell us you were going to spring this on us, so we have to give you an answer? Well, I, yes. Uh, reader, <laughs> reader listener Jerry uh, gave us four. Okay. He missed one. Actually, he gave me a bunch of hybrids. I'm not counting the hybrids. Okay. Jerry, also, I need your address. I need to mail you your gift. All right, so I need five. Go ahead. All right, I'm going to say, I'm gonna say uh, Del Sol. Del Sol? Yeah. That's the one Jerry missed. Okay. All right. There was the... 
I, I, I was thinking of something you know. Um, Too late. I want to jump oh, in with another okay, one. Jump in another one. CRZ. CRZ. Yeah. CRZ. Actually, CRX would be another oh, one. Oh, CRX. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's six then because there's also Cross Tour. Cross Tour. Uh, Element. And whatever S2000. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So okay. six. So there are six Honda models that have been discontinued since 1970. That's it. That's all of them. So congratulations, Jerry. I need your address. Uh, You have my email. This week, are you ready? This week's question, and this is for the same gift. This is a copy of Fast Forward by the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive. This is a beautiful 144-page hardcover book. It is quality Consumer Guide swag. It is yours. Uh, This is to the person who gives me the most models produced in the last 20 years that begin with the letter Y. Hmm. If we have a tie, I will take the last person, first person, first person to uh, to come up with the most All right. in the event of a tie. This one. <laughs> and these have to be like from a major auto yeah. manufacturer. Yeah, manufacturer a... available for, yes, I should yeah. clarify in yeah, footnote let's... and asterisk. <laughs> yes, yes, this is available, uh, models available in the United States. And from a from a major OEM, like yes. it can't be some weird kit car, or right? Something. Yeah, or yeah. something you built yourself, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can't we can't verify that anyway. All right, so there it is. There's the quiz. Uh, to enter, just go to consumerguide.com, go to contact us, and look for the drop down for the car stuff blog. Or, I'm sorry, podcast. And Damon, I think you were going to update us as to what's going yeah, on speaking on of the, the blog. blog. Yeah, speaking of the blog on the uh, CG Daily Drive. Uh, blog site this week. Um, oddly enough that we should have John here today because the uh, latest article on the blog at the moment is a photo feature uh, excerpted from Collectible Automobile of the 1932 of a 1932 Buick Series 90 convertible Phaeton. That's a beautiful car. Gorgeous, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of classic, uh, silver with green fenders, side mount spares. Uh, so you can... Uh, Marvel at the the pictures uh, of that. Uh, if I remember correctly, that one I think is actually a Canadian built one. Oh, really? Yeah, I believe it might be a McLaughlin Buick. Yeah, that's got to be a pretty rare body style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another another body style that has gone away. The oh, the convertible right. sedan. Convertible, yeah, they're, yeah. yeah. Phaetons. Four door convertibles, believe it or not. Yeah, and actually uh, moving down a little bit, um, another uh, vintage uh, car. Uh, article. Uh, I recently attended uh, the Mecham Auctions uh, organization, recently had its uh, Chicago event, which was out at the uh, Schaumburg Convention Center. Uh, so I went out there to see uh, what they had and just fired off a bunch of pictures of some of the eclectic vehicles that they had up for sale at that. And we've got a gallery of those. Um, uh, again, an amazing mix of uh, of special interest vehicles from all eras so there's some neat stuff there it runs from like a a 60s uh ford econoline pickup uh which is cool as heck yeah and an 84 monte carlo ss that's another one of those vehicles it was kind of neat when it came out Mm -hmm. sort of a at some level it was kind of a pale imitation of a true like big block muscle car but my first new car was an 87 really? ss i had an 87 ss i wow. went the worst way what i tried one of yeah. those guys yeah, yeah. And, and i was i mean that was about as cool as it got in 1984 again that was that was from that period when they were beginning detroit was kind of like we might be able to make a car with more than 150 horsepower again yeah the, yeah. the, the original Consumer Guide review, and I don't remember what model year of that era, Monte Carlo SS, actually discusses the fact that it's not actually that quick, but that it handles well, mm-hmm. which is almost the opposite of what a muscle car yeah. was all about. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, nobody cared about that back then, but 
there was a more nuanced, more balanced approach to yeah. uh, to performance cars. It had to do a little bit more things than just go like a bat out of heck out of, in a straight line. And uh, and the other thing that makes it interesting both then and and now is that there was a legitimate racing reason for it to be because that it, it, the Monte Carlo SS, the thing that made it distinctive was it had kind of a sloped arrow nose, which was a huge benefit on the NASCAR versions of those cars right. for yeah. airflow. And then they later had a fastback kind of glassback. Right. Uh, it was an aero coupe model. That aero coupe that, that uh, again, the reason that that existed was so that they could have a more aerodynamic race right, car. Yeah, and, those, and those are legitimately collectibles, yeah. the aerobacks. Especially the 86s, because yeah. that was only like a couple hundred. Like, yeah, about yeah. 200 exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, they were. Uh, they needed to have them meet those NASCAR rules. You needed to, if if they were going to have a part that was going to be on the race cars, there had to be. You had to be able to sell that in, in as a retail item. So if they wanted those shapes, uh, you know, it, to be run on the race cars, they needed to hit to uh, have it in their showrooms too. Yeah. Another and and again, uh, the other thing about the Monte Carlo, I think they uh, have aged very well. And as time has gone by, they have, the, I believe, those GM uh, two-door coupes of that vintage, those intermediate-sized cars, after 1987, that rear-drive V8 uh, archetype for the GM mid-sized cars went away with the you know introduction of those all-new GM 10 cars, right. which I think did not, you know, uh, they were not popular when they were new and, and kind of... GM lost a lot of market share with that. So those uh, 80s G-body cars, those are the G-bodies. G-bodies, right. Later mm -hmm. A-specials, but yeah, yeah G-bodies. Yeah, yeah, those those uh, kind of become more important because history has shown them to be the last of a breed. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, speaking of uh, a new breed that's going to be starting soon, Tom, you wrote an article about Ford's we all, most people have heard that Ford is bringing out the Bronco again, this right. classic nameplate, but there's also going to be a baby Bronco. Yes, and you used air quotes, uh -huh. which is exactly appropriate, because <laughs> the Bronco, which is going to be based on the Ford Ranger, is going to be called Bronco. And it's kind of an analog for Toyota's 4Runner. It is a legitimate body-on-frame midsize SUV, a vehicle that virtually disappeared uh, from the market for a while, except for the 4Runner. But there's a baby Bronco coming. It's a little bit less legit. It's going to be based on the all-new Ford Escape compact crossover. But it's obviously not going to be called baby Bronco. So industry trade mag Automotive News um, has noted that Ford has gone to the copyright office with a bunch of names hmm. that they think might be applied Could to be. the baby Bronco. So in this article, we look at those. But there's, there's Bronco Adventurer, Bronco Scout, Maverick. Oh, Maverick. Maverick. Wow. Okay. And then possibly Bronco Sport. So those are the names available. I love Maverick mm -hmm. just because, first of all, I'm a James Garner fan. And I love the TV show. <laughs> I love that it's an old Ford car. Mm -hmm. I like the legacy name part of that. But Maverick is unlikely simply because the um, the Escape is already called Maverick in other markets. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh. yeah. So that would be very confusing to have two different vehicles called Maverick in a manufacturer's lineup. So I think that Ford is probably going to go the lazy route here and go with the... Uh, um, sport okay. suffix because that's that's now an industry thing. Yeah, to call the smaller vehicle in a lineup. Hyundai sport. did that with the Santa Fe for a while. And, Santa Fe yeah. and Santa Fe Sport. There's the Range Rover and Range Rover Sport. There's the Mitsubishi Outlander and Outlander Sport. Mm -hmm. So it's possible because that's already shorthand for the smaller vehicle. Yeah, they're going to do that. You don't think they're going to call a Bronco two? 
I want them to call it Bronco <laughs> 2 so badly. I want that. No, I don't think so. I don't know that the Bronco 2 is especially well-remembered. Okay. I think it was a reliability. Yeah. Uh, reliability. Yeah, so that uh, that's a, an interesting read uh, to kind of speculate about what's just around the corner. Um, and then we always do test drives uh, every week as well. Uh, one of the most recent is uh, a test drive of the 2019 Nissan Leaf Plus, uh, a pure electric vehicle, which for 2019 gets a, a pretty significant increase in its pure electric driving range. It's up to two... Uh, 225, 226? Yeah. Yeah, so there's the base leaf, which we have known and rather liked, and now there's the plus. And you go from, what is it, I think it's a 30 or 40 kilowatt hour battery to a 62 kilowatt hour battery, and a whole lot more range and a whole lot more power. Yeah. It's, it's genuinely Yeah, gutsier quick. too, that's right. Yeah, and, and this is the thing about electric cars that I don't think people understand. They're not slow. Right. And it depends on who manufactures them and how they're tuned, but... They feel quicker than they are because the throttle response is immediate. immediate. Yep. Torque production from an electric motor is linear. There's there's no waiting for revs to build. There's nothing. It's just quick off the line. And driving around town, especially in this Leaf Plus, which was very nippy, if you're trying to go from like 20 to 30 to get around traffic, it's right, right there. there. Yep. Yeah. So nice little car. So yeah, we drove that, and that's our review. Right. And then I, that uh, kind of takes us through what's been the last week. Uh, there's actually a, a future collectible uh, that we put up late last week uh, on the 2018 Subaru WRX STI Type RA. It's another <laughs> mouthful. Uh, just a limited edition uh, Subaru WRX with some special parts. I think it's got kind of a deck lid wing. Very that, limited production, as I recall. And that RA stands for record attempt? Is that, yes. is that what I remember? That's okay. right. Yep. Yeah, so this was kind of a special car. Yeah. Had one, I think it was when they trying to run the Nurburgring, set a record as a Nurburgring. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this was the, yeah. I think those have long, that, that was actually a 2018 model, uh, uh, one year only. And I think it's only like 200, 250 production, if I recall, right? Yeah. And the, and the livery is interesting too. That's a white car with gold wheels. Mm -hmm. That's not a very, that, that feels very 90s. You think so? <laughs> I don't know. No, it looks cool. If you uh -huh. told me about it, I would not think it sounded like it looked cool. Yeah. No, but you need to see the picture. So check that out. All this stuff is at our blog. You can get to uh, to the blog by going to consumerguide.com and clicking on blog. There's the stuff. Easy enough. All right. Damon, I think you have a big question for us today. I do. And this is... Uh... This isn't the most creative in the world, but it will start a good discussion anyway. And so we need to go around, uh, John, Tom, and myself, and list two or three of our favorite classic cars. Well, uh, I'm. Uh, this, I know this, what John's going to say. This is like throwing chum to sharks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm notorious for being a, a, a just a huge uh, 1958 Chevy sycophant. So. Uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, we had one, it was the first car I remember growing up, and I just basically, you know, glommed onto that, and that's, uh, uh, that's basically my, my favorite uh, in all its variations, uh, including the body styles that they don't make anymore, oh. like uh, business sedans and uh. uh, two-door station wagons. They even had a sedan delivery of one. That's city. right, yeah. They had yeah. Like a, imagine a panel truck that looked like a passenger car, kind yeah. of like a station wagon with, with blanked-in rear quarters and, um, and all that cargo space. Uh, I've also I've also liked the sixty ones and off sixty one Chevys an awful lot. That's a that's a uh, very little personal connection to them, but I just just like that look. And and then uh, this might seem weird for, for uh, considering my last two picks, but I like nineteen sixty Fords an awful lot. I love the style wow. on those. 
Definitely an outlier styling wise. Right, from, very different. Doesn't yeah. look like a lot of other Fords did from the time. The sixty Fords, uh, Ford did, and, and manufacturers used to always do this, but but these very lengthy commercials back when they purchased entire shows, right. as opposed to advertisements. There is a fabulous uh, two minute reveal for the nineteen sixty Fords, and I don't know what show it was in front of. It might have been a number of the shows. I think it might have been for Tennessee Ernie Ford. I think is that what it was? Yeah, I think he was their uh, Ford was their sponsor. Uh, you know, appropriately enough. And right, they did huge, yeah, these huge multi-minute uh, musicals that, yeah. to, to you know to to sell when, at introduction time in the fall. This is this is on YouTube now, and I highly recommend that anybody who loves classic mm -hmm. advertising check this out. The sixty Ford reveal, mm -hmm. uh, which includes a Thunderbird, uh, the first uh, Falcon, Falcon, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and then the all new redesigned sixty Fords. Mm -hmm. But there are people walking around some endless meadow, watching stars land in the meadow. It should be a disaster, right? Mm -hmm. When a meteor hits the ground, Sets people the should die. On fire but no, like beautiful that. Fords appear instead. <laughs> but, so that's good, right? No one dies, right, so that's right. nice. But these people are walking around in evening gowns and tuxedos being wowed by do. these Fords. Yeah, and the voiceover is incredible. Yeah. But this is, it's on YouTube now. Just, just look up 1960 Ford commercial. It is fabulous. So, John, I got to ask uh, if you had your druthers and could pick any 58 Chevy, are you going Impala, or are you going Bel Air, or... Oh, this is tough. We, uh, Cause, cause that we, we had a uh, Biscayne, which was one of the medium-level cars. It was kind of, you know, fairly semi-plain. But the Impalas, are, though, they're, they are really something to see. Uh, from certain angles, they're, they're really dramatic, really beautiful. All right. So real quick, because we're running out of time. Uh, I will just throw out, uh, I'll limit it to just one, and I will say 63 to 65 Buick Riviera. Oh, yeah. Lots of people have those as favorites, and, mm -hmm. and just the, the Euro styling in that crisp roof line, it's just one of the most beautiful factory stock cars ever made in my book. Yeah, give us another one. Uh, well, <laughs> I will. Give us an embarrassing one. All right. I, this is perfect <laughs> that you said that, because I will do a very off-the-wall pick. Uh, a 69 or 70 Mercury Marauder X100. Oh, heck yeah. Mm -hmm. Fender skirts. It's like this Pretty kind of... Baroque. It's one of the sleaziest looking factory <laughs> stock cars. Yeah. It's got a flat black deck <laughs> lid for some reason. It's this mishmash of kind of muscle car and personal luxury cues. And it's got hidden headlights. It's one of my... It's, it's just a uh, leisure suit favorite. But then you uh, get big engine, really big engines in that. That's though. right, 429. I'm going to go with something also controversial. They were cheap cars. No one seems to love them all that much. I love the 1969 on General Motors X-Body cars, the Chevy Nova, the Buick Apollo. I love those cars. I just love the look. You have an unnatural affection for the 74 GTO. I love the G, which everyone hates because it's not a real GTO. Mm -hmm. It's really just a Pontiac Ventura with a hood scoop. But it's <laughs> awesome. It's flat out awesome. All right, we are already out of time. John Beale, thank you for being here today. You're welcome. Uh, tell us again, how can we get the magazine? You can reach us at uh, collectibleautomobile.com. Excellent. And Damon, how can we follow you? Uh, you can uh, follow me at Damon Bell Likes Cars on Twitter. Excellent. And if you're interested in following me for any crazy reason whatsoever, I am car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. Car guy Tom on Twitter. All right, that's the show. I'd like to thank producer Paul. You've been awesome. The good folks here at WCPT. I already thank Damon and John, and I'd like to thank my radio mentor, Steve and Johnny. That's it. Thanks for listening. Check us out at consumerguide.com.